Okay, we're going to begin this story called Digby Locked Us Out. It's from It's a Rum Life, Tales from France, written in about 2008, when we started the gradual move from England at the beginning of retirement for me. Preparation. We intended crossing the channel on a regular basis with a possessive Lancashire healer, his full brother, who closely resembled a small lion with short legs and very independent attitude, and lastly a Dalmatian, who would move the world to be in the driving seat. To aid us in this endeavour, we had bought a van. The van man stated assuredly that if France is our destination, then a French van was the obvious choice. After several days' research, we bought three travel tents for the dogs, canvas arrangements with steel frames that folded flat when not in use. Lots of zips fastened the things into shape, with a useful zipped-in mesh door at the front. We took the three dogs on a test run to Waynefleet, about ten miles away, to get them used to the idea of travelling in their own facilities. The two smaller dogs took the idea straight away and were no trouble. The Dalmatian totally demolished the mesh front of his tent before we even reached Waynefleet. Plan B Plan B was to build a wooden frame above the tent locations, inside the van, then encase the hole in green wire fencing. When Digby began to wander, then he would be contained and at the same time he would not be able to get on top of the smaller travel tents and squash them. Things that were being transported would then be packed around and on top of the dogs without them coming to any harm. The front openings of their tents were located in line with the side opening sliding door, so that comfort stops were easily achieved. March was to see us on our way for the first time, but the episode of the narrowboat that put me on crutches for over ten weeks delayed the initial journey. You can read more about that in The Achilles Tendon Went Bang. June arrived eventually, and the three dogs were all, already had their passports legal for three months. Everyone seemed overexcited in anticipation of the long overdue first journey. Energetic packing of the van commenced a full week before departure time. The very large trailer purchased on eBay to help carry loads of possessions looked pretty big when it came to loading the first car. Uh, there was not much room for anything else. Timber intended to create the second floor in the large barn adjoining the house in France was packed around and under the car, or as much as possible anyway. Curtains and goodness knows what else surrounded three dogs in their canvas-covered metal frame travel tents. Ruth had spoken to Hilton Herbs, who had always been most helpful with treatment for the big horses over the years when we had their health problems to consider. A mixture was developed and judiciously squirted on the dogs from time to time during the run-up to departure. Off we go. During the actual journey to Portsmouth, they were very well behaved. We stopped for coffee just north of Oxford. The entourage of white van, pulling large trailer with blue Ford Escort with canvas roof, surrounded by a huge long lengths of timber, some protruding beyond the back of the trailer. 
and we stopped right next to a small police panda car where the driver was busy writing in his notebook. All three of us descended, my sister being the driver, as I was serving a further week's ban on driving imposed by my orthopaedic consultant. The dogs launched themselves out of the side door in their haste to find suitable trees to relieve themselves. The two ladies taking it in turn to visit the service station, Lou, and collect large coffees to help sustain our sense of adventure. After a while, the panda car and occupant decided it would lead to complications and possible late end of shift if he began asking questions. Dogs, duly ensconced, and us all nourished, we completed the journey to Portsmouth without further event. From previous experience, we always seemed to be hauled in by Portsmouth Port Security for examination. This time was no different. But after checking us over, we found ourselves at the end of the queue of larger vehicles destined for the lower deck. Well, upper lower deck anyway. We were asked to go up that dreaded ramp again. You may remember the incident with the tractor behind Ruth's car in the story A Ferguson Goes to France. The time when we had to end up having to ask the deck officer and all the boat crew to come and push us up the last bit of the very steep ramp. I suggested to Jane that we took a run at it. The young chap controlling the loading did not buy him one bit. Just do what you like, dear, he said. Far different to the unhelpful chap who told me to just keep moving that time with the tractor. They say the fair sect sex makes no difference today. Don't you believe it? The van complete with trailer sailed up the ramp effortlessly, effortlessly, dogs and all. We found ourselves at the very back of the boat, stern to those of you with nautical minds. The nice young lady with boarding directions told us we could come down during the voyage voyage if we wished. The dogs looked strangely unperturbed, um, so Ruth zapped Digby once more with his herbal de-stimulant and we closed the door on them for six hours. We decided to let sleeping dogs lie and anyway the van had a huge sticker saying pets on board in bright letters. While trying to sleep on the voyage we all had various visions of Digby in the front seats, pressing all sorts of buttons. Each time the announcer passed a message, we imagined the next would be for us. Why was Digby more likely to cause problems? Well, remember, on the initial get-used-to-the-travelling-in-the-van-with-your-travel-tents journey, Digby had very quickly, quickly dug his way from the front of his attractive travel tent by massacring the plastic netting. It was a secure front no longer. As I have explained after this demonstration of his tent-shredding prowess, we began to create a system of wooden walls within the van and something over the top of the tents of the two smaller dogs to stop him crushing them with the dogs inside. Now, two weeks after that initial voyage, you can just not keep him out of the van. Digby in charge. He persuaded us to take him to Saumur the other day in our search for a larger parasol to keep off the 100 degree sun. Digby was first into the van, through the side door, and was sitting innocently in the rear while I had mistakenly left the engine running so to close and lock the garage. 
By the time I returned, after perhaps one minute, all the van doors were closed and locked, key in the ignition and the engine ticking over steadily. To make things a little worse, it was drizzling and I had left the wipers gently sweeping the screen. Digby leered at me from behind the driver's seat. He demonstrated how easily it had been for him to pounce up behind the seat and place his paw straight onto the locking button of the driver's door. Ruth went a trifle berserk, or it could be said more than a trifle. The dog's name was truly Mud. The dog was happy enough for a while. He would soon want to know why the van was not going anywhere. Electric central door locking, or rather unlocking, was just a little out of his league. Ruth was pacing the kitchen, looking like thunder, but much worse, so I could not reach for a quick glass of Perno to smooth my nerves. A solution had to be found, and quickly. Walking round and round the van, I began to realise how good central locking is. The whole thing was quite, quite secure with the dog on the wrong side. Foiled eventually. It would have been easy if we had a spare key. You know how it is with second-hand vehicles. They often do not have spare wheels or jacks. Ours had all the tools and operating manuals galore all inside the van. The electric window controls looked the best bet. The engine was still running and dog looked safe enough in the back. How long did it take for me to teach him to reach the window controls? After all, he had taught himself to lock the thing in seconds. He was so pleased of his achievement, he kept doing it. Those of you who had encountered electric windows may remember the switches are fairly sensitive. You only seem to touch them gently and the whole window opens to letting everything fall in from the skies. Once they start... They did not seem to want to stop. That was what I was hoping was the answer to our problem. Ordering another supplementary key would come afterwards. We've been told they could take weeks. There was plenty of car crackers friend about. Galvanised fencing wire of a strength that can be bent round corners, but thin enough to get through the gap between door and door frame. Herbert Stanwell at the garage, see It's a Rum Life book two, had first taught me how to do this when I was employed as a car salesman. Over the years, I've had to use this aid on my own cars and those of friends from time to time. It did not, ne- no, it did not let me down this time either. 24 minutes had passed and the good old galvanised wire was bent around the driver's top door corner down gently past the driver's armrest and found a little corner onto the electric window controls. After four or five botched efforts, success, and the driver's window moved smoothly smoothly down. We were all saved. Never again cursed the swiftly moving, hard-to-control electric window controls. There we are, that's the end of that little story. I hope you've enjoyed listening to it. Brought to you by Cracker Books, written and read by Keith Sanders. Okay, this is a new ending to all our stories. There's no shop anymore. Since Covid, 
we decided to allow free access to all our complete books, videos and audio stories. You can access them all via our new website. The address is www.itsarumlife.com The spelling I-T-S-A-R-U-M-L-I-F-E dot com. No spaces. It's a rumlife.com. There we are. Have a, have a good look. And thank you for listening.